Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and today's podcast is a special one. It's actually from our most recent boot camp, and I was able to lure Anthony Curtis over to the boot camp house to share a bit of his story. So, those of you who don't know who Anthony Curtis is, he's a longtime advantage player, and he's always one of the smartest people at the Blackjack Ball. He's been to the final table a bunch of times. He also runs Las Vegas Advisor and Huntington Press. So Huntington Press is a publisher based out of Las Vegas that has published many of the most important books in blackjack and card counting and advantage play. Uh, you know, if there's a great book on Card Kang or Advantage Play, it's probably published through Huntington Press. And they are also going to be publishing my book that's coming out here in a few months. And uh, I'm very honored that they're willing to publish my book and that also he was able to come to a boot camp, see what we do at our boot camps, and share a bit of his story. It's really a fun one. So we'll get right into it. I hope you enjoy. So I've got some questions. We'll start with that. If you don't mind me asking you my questions. Do they know what's going on here? You know, his book is, we just signed a deal. He's coming our way. We're, uh, we're going to publish it. We think it's going to be the next big deal in terms of, you know, we read it, we looked it over, and uh, it's this new style that you guys are, I'm sure, learning about right here, which is, uh, we think is very cool. So I wanted that book more than I let him know while we were negotiating. But, uh, well, I wanted to go with Hunter Depress more than I let him know. <laughs> So it's a win-win. He's a, very, he's, a, he's a very good negotiator. So if he teaches as well as he negotiates, you guys are in good hands. I'll tell you that. Well, thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm very honored that you're here, and I think it's really cool that you're willing to, to share a bit with us. But I want to start off with the beginning. How did you get interested in blackjack? Okay. Um, I just said I told you I was from Detroit, and uh, I was just a game player all my life. Uh, we played Monopoly for blood, you know, that kind of thing, risk, uh, short course card games, everything. One day when I was in 10th grade, a friend of the family who was also a game player used to come over. We'd have Monopoly sessions and all. We'd, we'd literally play seven to ten games of Monopoly in an afternoon. We played like power Monopoly, fast, fast, fast. A lot of deal making, you know, a lot going on. You know, I look back at it now, it was really probability based. Uh, the good players really understood, you know, dice rolls and where things were going to, and deal making. And, and, and that game was, was really uh, uh, an advantage player game if you, if you did it the right way. So anyway, he gave me a book on blackjack, and it was uh, <clears throat> Einstein's book, originally, uh, Charles Einstein. I think it was called, what, How to Win at Blackjack, or something like that. And I read it, and I got it. You know, it snapped to me, I understood it, and I went, wow, this is cool. This is something that I want to do. Now again, I'm in 10th grade, so I've got to fade two more years of high school, and, and then, you know, about three or four more years till I turned 21. But during that whole time, I read literally every single book that was out there. Um, Theory of Blackjack I read uh, three times and I mean I read it to the point where I understood every single page every single paragraph of that book I needed to understand and then drilling I drilled I drilled I drilled and um, I was uh, I was a wrestler in in, uh, in high school I was a pretty good wrestler and I got a lot of some pretty good scholarships I ended up at uh, Duke University actually but I was still spending more time even at Duke looking at blackjack books and, and studying blackjack than I was studying my own courses. I got another offer to, <clears throat> to wrestle again at UCLA. I took that. If you notice where I'm going, I'm getting closer and closer to Vegas. <laughs> and uh, when I turned 21, I had not even graduated college yet. And I just, I dropped out and I came to Vegas. It was interesting because my dad was a university professor at the time. So uh, he wasn't too thrilled about it. But when I told him, I kind of told him how it would work and how it could work and so forth, 
he got behind it, and uh, and that's what I did. I never did go back to college. I never did get my degree. Um, I played blackjack uh, and other and other beatable games. You know the beatable games: blackjack, poker, video poker, sports betting, race betting. I did those things for you know a couple of decades until I finally was too well known and uh, then went into publishing full time. So you said you trained. You trained. How did you train? It was a uh, it was serious stopwatch in hand. You know, <clears throat> sorry about my voice. It's been a, I've been I've been talking a lot this weekend, but. I would go down uh, into a basement or somewhere where I could be by myself, and I would have decks of cards, anywhere from a single deck to six or eight decks. Uh, stopwatches, pick it up, go, 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 boom, 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 boom. Same thing with flashcards, boom, 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 over and over and over and over again, to the point where I guess I was doing single decks with picking with picking it up and starting the. So you know, they'd be here. I put one aside. I'd pick it up, click, and I was getting through it in eleven seconds. So, I mean, you get to the point where you get it right every time, every time, every time. Uh, same thing with flashcards. You just can't miss. You just can't miss. Go, go, go. You can't miss. You can't miss. And then, believe it or not, pick up basic strategy again. Boom, boom. Make sure you know your basic. Make sure you know your basic. So it was very, very much, it was the kind of discipline I kind of used as an athlete to be good. I trained harder than, maybe I wasn't as good as others. I trained harder. And I did the same thing in blackjack. I trained very, very hard. So whatever you do, you've got to know your numbers down flat, bam, 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 bam. That's great. That's great. Good for everyone to hear. Um, how'd you get involved with Stanford Wong? Stanford Wong, that was an interesting one. Um, I came out, <clears throat> I came to Vegas in 79. All right, that's when I turned 21. Uh, Wong was the big deal then. He was the big cheese. Um, I actually learned my, I used the three-level use in the APC, which um, if anyone asked me right now, should I do that? I would say absolutely not. <laughs> you should use a single-level count or, a, or an unbalanced count something like KO that I publish, or obviously Wong's high-low. Wong did not uh, invent the high-low. He kind of, though, put the, the, the solid numbers to it, so the high-low is always sort of associated with Stanford Wong. Uh, so I had read all of Wong's book. I knew Wong very, very well. Um, and when I came out to start playing, I played solo for several years. Um, I didn't know anybody. I came out here by myself, and I'm sorry if I don't mean to be holding you guys out. I should get on a swivel here. But... Um, Eventually, when you like when you come out here, especially back then, there was no internet. <laughs> back in the old days, man, you know there was no internet. Uh, you just there was something I called the information conduit, which meant you just got to know people and you got their phone number. And when things would happen, you would call somebody up, and it became a quid pro quo sort of thing. Yeah, I tell you about this, you tell me about that. The same stuff that goes on today was going on then. Somebody would do a crazy promotion. Somebody would deal two to one blackjack. Somebody would do something just wild, and if you were in the information conduit, you would get a phone call, and then it would be upon you to reciprocate at some point down the line. So people get to know people over a period of time. Um, one day I got a phone call, and it was uh, Stanford Wong on the phone. And I was like, no, it's not. You know, it's one of those <laughs> I never met the dude. I never met him. And um, he told me that he was starting a, um, a tournament playing blackjack team and that he had four members to the blackjack team and he thought that five would be perfect and that he'd heard about me and he said uh, do you want to play or, or, or as Wong would say I have four players I like five do you want to play <laughs> <laughs> and I said yeah <laughs> so um, we set up a, a meeting to meet and I uh, got together with him and uh, we talked it over and I looked at his material and 
he talked to me and uh, I commented and he liked me and uh, we've been uh, basically lifelong friends ever since. That's awesome. So how did the tournament play work? Was it finding uh, positive EV tournaments and just having another people to... Wong decided, <clears throat> Wong liked, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of bad rap on Stanford Wong. People say he didn't, he didn't really play. He was only a theorist. That's not true. He, was, uh, he, he would put his money where his mouth was in a big way. And um, he liked to develop things. He liked to find things. He liked to be first about things. And he tried sports, didn't do it so well. Tried horse racing, didn't do it so well. But he absolutely nailed it with tournaments. And he looked at it and he saw there was a, there was a positive EV in almost any kind of tournament you could play. That was really the brilliance of it. Of all the tournaments we played, we were a very successful team. One of our weakest edges, one of our lowest edges was in blackjack tournaments. Hmm. And that was what was really great because all the competition, when they, you know, that's another thing. You would learn about things by seeing other people that you knew doing things. So all of a sudden, people that knew me and others that were in the group and knew Wong saw us playing these tournaments all over the place. And everyone said, there must be something there. So they would watch the way we played them. They would try to emulate what we did. But for a very long time, they never even thought to look that we were playing Baccarat tournaments and Kino tournaments and roulette tournaments and things like that. And the, the thing is, tournament play is different from anything else that you're playing. For instance, you, when you play a blackjack tournament, you don't play blackjack. You play tournament blackjack. And when you play dice, you don't play dice. You play tournament craps. And you could literally get an edge in a Tillywing tournament, you know, by playing tournament strategy. So Wong was very, very good at that. And Wong appreciated that myself, and I later brought in one of my best friends, a guy named Blair Rodman, who wrote a book called uh, Kill Phil. He is now writing a beginner's uh, sports betting book for me. And Blair is a, uh, a World Series of Poker bracelet holder. You know, he won a major tournament for 700000 a Hold'em tournament. And Blair and I probably assimilated the information better than anybody else that was on the group, including Wong, <laughs> his own information. We actually took it further, farther than, than he did himself. He appreciated that, and it was all about kind of being quick on the feet. And we started off um, chopping, very chopping, you know, I mean, because it's a high-variance endeavor, playing tournaments. Obviously, Wong used to say, and he's right about this, the best thing you can do in a tournament is take first. The second best thing you can do is take last. That's because you were playing for first. These things were very, very top-heavy. And Wong was not afraid to blow it all, lose it all. In a, in a, in a, and, and blow it all is the wrong word. Just lose it all. Everybody zeroes out if we're playing properly to win. And eventually, boom, we won our first one. It was actually me. I won a match play blackjack championship at the old Hilton. I think we won 77000 We got in the car. We drove up to Lake Tahoe. And the only girl on our team won the crap tournament the next day for 43000 and we came back and um, popped another one within two weeks. Wow. So, you know, all of a sudden, boom, whoosh, you know, we were up there. Interestingly, as we got more interested in it, you know, that $7,000 I mean, $77, tournament I won, I think I netted 3200 I think that was my share. And uh, Juan came up to me afterwards. He says, you did things in that I never, I never thought of. He goes, the way you thought on your feet. I tell you that only because he took the seventy. Two thousand, and I got three thousand for play, doing things he never thought of. But I mean, that's you know, that's the way it is. That's that's the way it gets started. Um, there's actually a real funny story there, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll tell please. it real quickly. Uh, again, back then there were no there were no you know there were no dating services. You know, we did it 
like the old style. We would like meet girls and go up to them. You know? So I was trying to date this uh, this chick out of uh, this woman. Excuse me, we have some females in the, in the house here. I was trying to de- date this woman, a cocktail waitress out of Lady Luck. And that's where we used to go all the time uh, to practice because Lady Luck had three days a week, they had many tournaments. And that was, that was the, the proving grounds and that was the training grounds. We played them all. And I mean, we just honed our skill and we'd tear each other apart. And afterwards, you know, we, we, we'd talk sober and we'd go to the bar and drink and talk drunk. And we'd just, you know, get to the point where we got so good at these things just from, from getting on top of one another when, when a mistake was made. We played them very seriously. I think first prize was maybe 2000 in these things. And they were $25 entry fees. And it was great because you play players of all different types. So anyway, there was a cocktail waitress there. And I kept shooting at her and shooting at her and was getting close. And finally, when I made the finals of this, uh, of this blackjack tournament, I called her up. I go, I'm going to play for 77000 Come on down. You know, so she's like, all of a sudden, she liked me better. Okay. <laughs> okay, she comes down. So she watches. I basically ripped this guy up. I mean, it went my way. It just went my way. I couldn't. I could do no wrong. And I mean, I dominated. I won the thing. They gave me the money in cash. And I had it in like a box. And this girl's looking at me with just big old giant <laughs> eyes. You know? And we went to the cocktail, uh, I mean, to the lounge and uh, ordered a couple drinks. And she's talking and I'm talking. And Wong walks up and he goes, good job. He takes out a paper bag and he puts all the money in the bag and walks away. And the girl looks at me and says, what happened? And, uh, I have something to explain. But anyway. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's, how, it, that's how it began. Um, Wong quickly got... He got bored. Once we started winning and doing real well, and he, he made the lion's share of the money, we all wanted to buy in more. We, were, you know, we didn't have much money back then, uh, the, the players. We were all, he funded everything. We actually went to the Bahamas. He put up 150000 or whatever it was for us to all, or maybe a couple hundred thousand for us to, to enter these, these $10,000 and $20,000 tournaments. It was crazy. But once he got successful and all his money back and everything else, we all wanted more of it, and Wong wanted to move on to other things. So at that point, that, uh, that team was disbanded, and I hooked up with another team that was far more notorious. <laughs> okay. So, so team doing what? Um, there we did everything. With Wong, we didn't play that much on the outside. If we found something really good, we would play it as a team, and Wong would do the analysis and we were the, the soldiers, kind of, you know, we were the soldiers and would do it. Um, but when we did our own playing, we didn't, we didn't have a card-counting team together. And Wong just wasn't interested in it. So we all played on our own. Um, there was another group that got into what we were doing. It was known as the Alan Brown group. Um, Alan Brown was famous for being one of the two guys that got beat up in the back of the horseshoe. All right, if everybody, if you, if you look at your history or you've, you've been around it a while, you know that there was a turning point in backroom beatings, and that's when two guys were taken off the table and taken to the back room of the horseshoe, Alan Brown and Barry Finn. And Alan Brown was almost killed. I mean, they, they busted his spleen. He had to go to the hospital. He, he almost died. And that was kind of it. That went that, from that point on, the beatings were never quite so severe. Uh, the horseshoe got sued for a lot of money. They won the case. And, but anyway, Alan Brown was a real smart guy. He's now one of the biggest sports bettors in the world. Um, and Alan had his team, and um, he came to me and asked if Blair and I wanted to join his team when he knew we split up with Wong, because they were the first guys in, except for there was a group, there was a group of about 10 players who were playing these tournaments all over the United States, wherever they would hold them. Well, I mean, all over Nevada and Atlantic City, that's all there was back then, and then in the islands also. We would travel a lot to the Bahamas and Curacao and things like that, where they were holding these tournaments. 
And there was a group of 10 to 12 guys and girls that had already figured it out on their own. And these guys were really good. And that's when we knocked heads. And when we showed up, they were like, shit. You know, it's almost like, if any of you guys have seen the movie um, with DiCaprio called The Beach, yeah. Yeah. all right, yeah. where they find that beach, right? And they're like, they're, they're in heaven. And all of a sudden, someone shows up to the beach. Yeah. That's what it was. It was like, we showed up to the beach. <laughs> Following us came Alan Brown and his guys. And they were really good. They were very clever. They were, they were very strong. And so we, we put together this second team, or it was Alan's team. I was the youngest guy on the team. I was the kid. And I was able to play on this excellent team of, of players, and we did everything. We did everything. We played tournaments like crazy because the EV was so high, and we knew we could make a lot of money, but we also played on the outside. And we didn't just count cards. We did everything. We tracked shuffles, and we hole carded a lot. And um, I never had a problem with hole carding. I, I, I was always very ethical about the way I played, but I never had a problem with hole carding. It never was wrong to me. If they want to show me, I'm going to look, you know, and that's the way it was. But um, um, on that team was also uh, Russ Hamilton. Anybody know the name? You guys never heard of Russ Hamilton? All right, go back and check your 60 Minutes. And uh, the guy who was looking at hole cards through when uh, Ultimate Bet Poker Online went down because a guy was <coughs> stealing money by, by spying hole cards through the software, wow. that was Russ. Russ happened to be, of all the players on that team and all the players I've probably ever played with, Russ is probably the best pure card player I've ever seen in my entire life. Pure game player, but mostly cards. But that's because he had a lot of larceny in his soul, man. <laughs> but we had, we had a monster team. We had Alan Brown. We had a guy named Ed House, who's just one of the best blackjack players I've ever met. Blair, myself, Russ Hamilton, um, a couple of others, a really good programmer. Um, we, were, we were a force. We did it for a number wow. of years. That's we were we played we played concurrently, and probably parallelly to the MIT teams that you all hear about. Mm-hmm. You know when I can guarantee you when the guys who did bringing on the house were playing when that iteration of that team was playing, we were playing at the same time and we were making a lot more money than them. I guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, I talk a lot, huh? No, no, this is great. <laughs> this is great. Uh, what what forms of advantage play do you still employ? Well, right now. Um, I really can't play, uh, I can't play blackjack. I can't play, I'm really not supposed to play any kind of table games. If I play any table games in the pit, I'm pretty well known for that for two reasons. One is uh, we got well known. If you really play, if you, if you play tournaments and you're doing well, you're going to get well known. I mean, that's just, it's just too high profile. At one point, and this was by no doing of my own, all I did was fi- follow the protocol that we had come up with, but I won what was called the Las Vegas Kino Championship two years in a row. And, like, how does a guy win a Kino championship two years in a row, right? Yeah. Well, we was, you know, again, I was given a set of numbers by Alan and our, our computer guys and said, bet this, bet these numbers. It wasn't the numbers. It was the combinations. But any combination of numbers you want. But he gave us the numbers specifically because we only wanted a certain amount of overlap. It was that sophisticated. But mine happened to come in twice. Nothing I did. I did yeah. nothing with the strategy. All I just sit there like an idiot and, and put the tickets in. But I got credit for doing that. So you get, you know, your profile rises. And then I began to just sort of look at opportunities in business, in gambling business outside, and I just realized that I'd had a hell of a time in my 20s and 30s being a, uh, a single guy, being a card counter on the road and doing that kind of stuff. It was just awesome. And now I was getting into my 40s, and it was time to do something more grown up. So I began talking about what I knew to a certain degree to the media uh, with the, the intention of getting well-known as an expert and making money another way, which was publishing, which is you know what I do now. So... 
I'm not allowed to play any table games because I'm too well known. You know, they act like I'm an ATM. I can just go in there and take out anytime I want. It's it's, it's foolish. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you guys understand the swings. You know, it's the ups and downs of the whole thing. You don't just you know pull it out every time you sit down. But uh, I'm very much allowed to play video poker. I'm allowed to bet sports. I'm allowed to bet basically do anything. I'm even allowed to play tournaments. They actually like it when I do. Really? Yeah, they kind of like say, hey, you're sort of a celebrity, and they allow me to do that. Did you guys get backed off from tournaments at all? Yeah, we did. Yeah, We got to the point where we got backed off from certain tournaments, and uh, it went a long time before that happened because we were very um, uh, respectful to the casino's good players, and that's something I would recommend no matter what you do is be respectful as you can be to the, ter- the, the, the casino's good players. Don't give them any reason to dislike you aside from the fact that you're taking their money um, because that makes it very easy for them to bounce you and to bounce you in the most unceremonious of ways if they want to do that. Um, I actually one time was called. I, I, we would go up to uh, Reno a lot, and the Nugget up there, Johnny Esquagas had a Nugget had some really good tournaments, and I was actually uh, called at my house by uh, John Jr. Esquaga, and he said, we can't have you playing anymore. In the, we can't have you playing. And I said, uh, why? You know, the same thing. He goes, well, look, we know why. He goes, you know, you're a very talented player. He goes, I don't take anything away from you. But I, and I go, I think, you're, I think your customers like me. He goes, my customers love you. <laughs> he goes, I've talked to certain people about it. He goes, you're so nice to the, the older people. You're so nice to everybody. He goes, you do what you do without gloating. He goes, you're very humble. And he goes, that's why you lasted so long. But he goes, I can't have you anymore. So I, that's my advice. Be as nice as you can. But yeah, we did, and then others also did at certain times. Uh, they, they backed us off after a while. Is there still much EV in tournament play? I think there's a lot of EV in, in tournaments all the time because people will never get it. They will never play it right. There will always be a few people who play it right. And even those who play it right don't ever play it quite right. There was, you know, there was a group of what we called the, the A players. And then there was a group of what we called the, the B players. The B players were good. You didn't want the B players on your table. You wanted the rest of them. But, I mean, for example, one of the B players, we called him Frenchie. All right? Frenchie was from, uh, from uh, he was a French-Canadian out of, out of Canada. Um, Frenchie was good. Frenchie later became very famous. I'll tell you why in a moment. But Frenchie was known as a gambler later in his life and, and a good poker player and various things. But Frenchie never quite got, his group never quite got how to play these tournaments properly. At one point, this is back in the early, uh, probably the mid-80s, Frenchie was walking around with a cassette tape. Back then they had cassette tapes. Asking everybody that he knew that had money there if we wanted to invest in this person that he had discovered. And everyone was like, yeah, beat it. You know, I mean, the whole thing. And uh, on that tape was Celine Dion. <laughs> so yeah, none of us invested. He went out. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and that was uh, that was um, gosh, what's his name? Celine's. You know, he died. He died recently. What was his name? Yes, Rene, Rene, Rene Angelo. And uh, I kind of remained friends with him, you know, basically up until he died. But uh, yeah, he became you know super wealthy and all that deal you know, because of Celine. But he was a good tournament player. So that's going full circle to tell you why they're so good. Even guys that get it, even though they watch it, even though you, you do something to them, you know, you pull a play on them. You know, there's lots of plays in the tournament world, and you, you trap them and you pull a play. They still never really seem to get it. You know, either you get it or you don't. So, yeah, there's a lot of EV in it, but you risk, you really risk your shelf life. Hmm. Um, is there like a go-to resource? 
Without question. I mean, the book, the, the book on tournament play is Wong's Tournament Blackjack. Um, there's, with, with Casino Tournament Strategy, excuse me, it's called Casino Tournament Strategy. You have to read that book. You have to absorb it. You have to understand it. The second book that I would say would be the one that I published, which was called um, Play to Win. And it was kind of a dumb book because the guy who did it kind of wanted a book about himself. He won the World Series of Blackjack, and um, he, uh, he won a couple of other big tournaments. His name's Ken Einiger. Uh, Kenny was a real good seat-of-the-pants player, and he made some really good moves. He's what I would call the B player. And a little better, he made some really good moves, and he got real lucky, knocked me out on a, on a couple of times, you know, on the way to winning some really big prizes. But when he, so he wanted a book about himself. So the first part of Play to Win is all about Kenny Einiger. And he's kind of like not like that. He's a really nice guy, but he just wanted this book about himself, like a lot of people do. But I made sure we put something in the back of that book called The Anatomy of a Tournament, um, um, of a tournament uh, victory, I think, or something like that. And that is a very, very step-by-step process of the thinking process of how you go through a blackjack tournament from beginning to end. And there's a lot divulged there. So I would say two books. You would read Stanford Wong. You would read um, Play to Win. And there's a guy named Ken Smith. If you can ever get a hold of anything that, Kenny Smith is, that Ken Smith has done, read it. Ken Smith was an absolute, tremendous uh, tournament player at all levels. So he started blackjackinfo.com. He sold it a few years ago, but I think you still find his ebooks on tournament play. Yeah, there are ebooks. And you've got, if you really want to get serious about tournaments, and you can win a lot of money. I mean, but is there can, a lot of variance in? Uh, you're saying oh, incredible, that, incredible variance. So, so it might be a difficult thing to do solo. Yeah, tournaments are best played in groups. I okay. mean, when you've got when you've got friends, because you pull money, you cut down the variance a lot. Um, you get to knock ideas off of one another because tournament play is all about quick on your feet. You know, wow, did you see what just happened? What should I have done? What you did? You know, here's another. All right, I'll tell you another. You don't mind these stories, right? All right, we, we would we would just get on one another we would watch once you made the final everybody was watching you were on the hot seat because I mean everybody's money was in it and they're, they're counting on you if you, lo- if you lose you lose but you had to play right so one day I'm on the crap tournament final table partner of mine's on the other side two of us make it there's a little bit of collusion going on there you know and I mean but it's the same kind of collusion you would do essentially if you're playing against another good player he takes one side one of the best tournament plays is go opposite of, your, of the best player. Because if you win, you've got a double win because you've knocked mm-hmm. out the best player while you won or you've taken a commanding lead. So the collusionary part of it doesn't really come in until the very end when you can really lock up spots. So this was the only time in my life ever on a tournament table I absolutely blacked out in terms of what to do. I, I literally just, for, I, couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't think. And it came to me. And there's always a lot of pressure, and it's always you've got to bet fast. And I've had a bunch of chips in the rack. And, I, I mean, I looked at the table, and to me it looked like a blur. I had no idea what to do. And they're telling me 20 seconds, 15 seconds. And all I know is we had a, we had a saying, when in doubt, put it out. All right? That's true. If you ever play a tournament, you, you remember this. When in doubt, put it out. Get your bullets in action. And I took my chips, and I said, here, 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 here. Everything I had was on the layout. And I looked up at my partner, and he went. <laughs> he was just on the other side. Of the so, and then he came behind me, whatever. Well, anyway, we analyzed it afterwards, and we realized that if I'd have left my chips in a rack and done nothing, I'd have had four out of 36 rolls. It was a last roll tournament. I'd have had four out of 36 to win. 
if I had uh, done the, the optimal play, I'd had 16 out of 36. And doing what I did, I had nine. So I put myself in the middle by putting my chips out there. So it's kind of like, you know, again, whenever, if you guys do get into tournaments, remember, fire your bullets, shoot your money, don't keep it in a rack. You know, you almost always want to have your money in action. Interesting. So we'll send an email out to you guys uh, after Anthony and I put together tournament apprenticeship (laughs) in about three months, because it's really, really interesting. Uh, I got a couple more questions that we'll we'll open up to a few. Um, So it's interesting you're saying that top tournament book is not a book you publish yours say and then you even said right. uh it's, it's not that good so that kind of is a, the segue to my question which is you have a reputation as i, I believe the way max rubin put it is maniacally honest <laughs> uh, was that something that was imparted to you from your parents or or where did that come from um i am honest um, i'm really honest in business and uh, i don't um i don't cheat and uh, I, I made up my decision. I made my decisions with what I did in gambling, what was honest and not honest, and what was cheating and not cheating. My feeling was the the idea I came up with, and I'll get back to yours. But the idea I came up with in gambling is that if something had gone to court, and the court has ruled it, like whole carding, the court had ruled it legal, then it was legal. And it's not for me to make to to make a decision that it was or wasn't. Never broke the law. Never did anything that was illegal. Um, and that's just the way that um, we didn't. I, I grew up. Uh, in a really strong family. We had a very tight family, mother and father together their whole life, 60, 61, 63 years married, um, a brother and myself. And uh, I'll be honest with you, um, I saw a lot of people cheating around me to get ahead. And I kind of thought to myself, I don't think there's anything I can do better than, any, any, than everyone else in the world but be more honest. So I'll do that. <laughs> and that was it. I mean, it was not religious. It was nothing. It was just... I was like, I don't think I can be the best at anything, but I can be more honest than anybody I know. So that's what I did. And it really got to me to the point where I did not want to uh, jeopardize that long record of honesty. Hmm. So I, I, I do do that. And I know that sounds square, and I know that sounds like no, no, probably no. some of you are sitting back there going, bullshit. <laughs> but but it's, it's true. I, I do my best. And, I, and sometimes I do things that I look at afterward and go, hmm, maybe that wasn't so right. But um, I'm no, I, I'm absolutely no saint, but uh, the truth was, I, I thought, and this goes all the way to like never cheating on a girlfriend or anything like that, because I was like, that's so easy to do, and everybody does it, so I'm not going to do it. So that's so that's, <laughs> that's great. Uh, no, I thought that was really interesting and not advanced play related, but it kind of still is in some ways. How how you want to? Well, it is it is related because it gives you opportunities when you get a reputation like that. The opportunities that have come my way, in, both in publishing and before that in playing, that's one of the things Wong said to me. He goes, I've heard you're really, he goes, I heard you're very good, and I've heard you're very honest. And I mean, way back then, that was, you know, that's a reputation that will go. This, in this business, there's a lot of creeps, and there's a lot of crap, and there's a lot of things to look out for, and everybody's always worried about everybody. And what's cool when they deal with me, I mean, I, I guess I've earned it, but they go, we don't have to worry about him. And I mean, and that means that if there's going to be an opportunity, you're, that opportunity is going to come your way. And it's really, really paid its way for me in, in the business world in publishing. I, I get, I, I usually get a shot at the best products when they come out, because everyone goes, "I heard about you. I heard you're a good guy to work with." That was absolutely the case. I was asking around, and everyone said, "Yeah, just go with Huntington Press." Yeah. Um, cool. So, so what are what are your favorite parts of running Huntington Press? I didn't know I had. There were favorite parts of it. I had, uh, <laughs> Um, I like um, I like the people I meet. <laughs> you know, I mean, the coolest thing is I've met I've met the greatest players in the world, 
You know, I mean, I, I get a call from Ian Anderson. Goes, I want you to publish my next book, and I go, great. I'll meet you in Vegas to sign a contract. He goes, oh no, no, no we're not meeting. I go, then I'm not publishing. I go, I'm meeting you, bro. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he did, and he did, and then and then we became good, kind of good buds. And I see him whenever he comes to town, which is almost never anymore. But you know, I met, uh, I met, was like just about best friends with Peter Griffin. I mean, you know, I. Uh, uh, I work now with Arnold Snyder, who who does stuff for me. I'm, I'm you know, like I say, lifelong pals with Stanford Wong. Uh, I published and, and, and good buddies with Max Rubin. You know, I mean, um, I, I've met Tommy Highland and I hang with Tommy Highland. You know, I mean, yeah. Oh, Tommy, I didn't know you were here. I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but I mean, the guys that you read about, hear about, you know, that you admire, you get to be contemporaries with them. And that's why, cool. not because of anything necess- you know, necessarily that I did tremendously in the gambling field per se, but because I probably am the best known publisher of gambling books, so it, that opens a lot of doors. So that's the best part. Awesome. Um, two more questions. How the hell do you do so well in the blackjack ball competition every year? <laughs> well, last year I got disqualified. <laughs> um, I don't know how well I did. I took second like six times. You know, I, well, couldn't, I couldn't finish it. You know, I couldn't finish the deal. And then, uh, then I finally won one. Um, yeah, but you put yourself in play. Well, let's put, but let's be real. The blackjack ball is really about more about knowledge than skill. You know, because you've got to. The only way they can pare it down to get a final table is to to do well on the test. So I do well on the test. You know? So that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to get this out of you because I never do well. Yeah. On, I mean, I've been like a question away from making the table, but I just can't get into that final table. So what's the secret well, sauce? Well, I mean, you know, what do I do? I edit books all the time. I read about, you know, I publish a newsletter, so I've got to be up on all the current events. I, you know, I talk to people who tell me things about things that are, you know, a little bit esoteric that may, might end up on that, on that test. And I've just got that body of knowledge, you know, I mean, that, that, that comes to me. And I'm not an expert test taker, but I kind of know their tricks, you know, after yeah. doing this for 21 years. I've been going to that show for 21 years, and I've seen how they, how they trick people and things like that. So yeah. it's just an advantage play there. Yeah. But uh, so it was kind of embarrassing to get to the finals and keep losing. And twice in the last hand, it was a tournament. It was against one of the guys in a tournament, and twice I was drawn dead. I looked at the things, and I looked at his cards, and I went, I tried to do something to do something that only a maniac would do because it was the only way I could win. And, I, you know, it, it just didn't go my way. And then uh, two years ago, uh, uh, I, 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 I estimated one, 135 out of one, and it was 136, and I cut two away, and, then, and I counted and beat the guys, and that was it. I won one. Yeah. So there was, I, I still had some skills. I had some skills. <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge and skills. Okay, one last question, and then we'll open up for a couple more. Um, what's your best advice for, for these guys here that are, uh, well, we actually have a, a broader group than just the attendees. Some people are here just to hear you and Tommy talk today but but what's your best advice for these guys oh just leave now before it even starts again just forget <laughs> it <laughs> no best advice is is really first of all you're going about it the right way because you're getting you're getting good information you know you you've got to work off of good information you have to understand um you have to have a base understanding of why these things work you know not just the fact that you're here that you're putting you're putting effort in shows that you're not trying to take what i call the magic pill Everybody wants the magic pill. That's why with the, with the SCOTUS uh, you know, decision on sports betting, you're going to see sports betting touts coming out of the woodwork. We're already seeing that. 
Um, that's because that's a magic pill approach. Somebody says, I can tell you how to beat these games. I can tell you how to sit on your ass back home on Sundays and, 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 and drink and, and eat pizza and win money. That's bullshit. You know, that, that just ain't going to happen. So you have got to, you've got to treat it like an important discipline the way you would. You know, here's a funny thing. I mean, uh, uh, a girl I went out with the other day, I go out with these days, said, well, explain to me. where It was a video poker thing. I said, don't do that. Don't do that. Do this. She goes, explain to me why. I go, well, here's the reason why. I give her the layman's explanation. She goes, but why is that? And I, I said, I'm not going to explain. I don't have time to explain to you what took me 40 years to learn. Do you understand? This is not, everyone thinks it's something you can just pick up. You have to study, study, stay on top of it, keep your chops up, pay attention, pay attention to the little things, be kind of maniacal about it. Don't let the little edges slip away. So, I mean, just take it seriously is what I'm saying. Treat this, look, there's money involved. This is like a business. You want to be a dentist? You've got to study. You want to be an attorney? You've got to study. Same thing. Awesome. That's great. You guys uh, have any questions? I got one. Um, nope. So Max Ruin, um, he actually uh, manages over there at the Baranas. How did he go, how did he switch from beating up casinos and then going into that field? What made, I mean, that has to, has to be a mindset. Yeah. Having the ball, too. So yeah, and a lot of people. I think that'd be kind of. And he kind gets tough. And yeah, and, and isn't it interesting how he gets a pass for doing it? Right. And then he tells people at the Blackjack Ball, if you have any affiliation with casinos, you are not allowed at the Blackjack Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're me. Yeah. <laughs> now, to be honest with you, he's one of my best friends. He's truly one of my best friends. So, I mean, I can get down on him for something like that, but I can also tell you why and what happened. And here's, here's the truth. His best friend for years and years was a guy named Don Spear. Don Spear is not a gambler. Don Spear is a businessman. And uh, Don Spears in the casino industry. And he has a company that manages casinos. And he got the, um, he got the concession at Barona. And Max is his best buddy. And he said to Max, can you help me? And Max is like, this puts me in a really funny situation. <laughs> okay. But he goes, he goes as, way, as he would, if anybody can do it, that'd be me. You know? <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty confident in himself, and, and rightfully so. He's a, he's a real clever dude. Yeah. But uh, Max said... I'll help you. He goes, I won't. He goes, I won't let people take advantage of you. And he goes, I won't hurt people I know, but I'll tell them to stay out of here. And he goes, basically, that's the main thing I'll do is keep them off your back and I will help you make a better casino. A lot of people think Barona is the best run casino in the world because of a lot of things they do and not sweating the money and, you know, the speed of their games and, uh, you know, the liberalness with their comps and everything else. So Max, uh, I think Max got off on building this like really great mousetrap at Barona, but he's also, you know, he's very uh, cordial. When he finds somebody, he picks somebody up off a game, he goes and buys them dinner like they did in the old days and goes, look, there's, a, there's a, you know, 30,000 other joints you can play, you don't have to play here. So that's how he does it. The reason he, do, he does it, though, was not for the money or anything in the beginning, it was to help a really true friend that was like his best buddy. Well, cool. I like the Hall of Fame, that's awesome up there, yeah. pictures and stuff up yeah, it's uh, yeah. They do a lot of cool things there. This guy Don is a, a real good progressive thinker, and he listens. And uh, um, he actually, you know, early in my career when I started really moving, you know, you talk about advantage play of all different kinds. Um, he invited me and, and others I was playing in to come in and bank his Pygal games for him. So we were actually the bank because mm-hmm. at that time they couldn't house bank, and they had to have outside bankers. This uh, that happened all around the country in different areas. It happened in Arizona. Happened in different places, yeah. California. But, you know, Don called me up, gave me a lot of opportunities to, you know, do things like that. That's cool. Anyone else? 
We answered everything. <laughs> oh, this is a bit of a strange question, so I wasn't going to ask it unless other people did. But when you mentioned the sports betting, uh, so my dad is really into sports betting, and he basically subscribes and pays for all those subscription services where they tell him what to bet. Um, and I've always thought that's a bit risky. Um, what what should I say to my dad, I guess? Well, first of all, how's he doing? He tracks it really well, and I believe he's up. Like, he's retired now, and he switched to sort of doing that. Um, yeah, but uh, he has losing months and winning months, but yeah, yeah. I know he tracks it well. I think it goes fairly well. Well, it always boils down to your results. You know what right. I mean? Like, I just did a, I just did a, uh, an interview on the phone the other day. I was actually going downtown to do a... Check this out. I was going downtown to do a, a travel channel uh, show where... They, you guys ever hear of D.B. Cooper? The name yeah. D.B. Cooper? The guy who, you know, who stole the money and jumped out of the airplane? Well, they've got it, yeah. And they, they had this, this uh, idea, uh, uh, scenario that D.B. Cooper survived, which, no. But, I mean, you know, but, say he survived and came to Vegas, and how could he launder $200,000 in $20 bills? So that was what it was all about. But as I was driving down there, um, I got a call from the RJ, so uh, Review Journal, asking me the very question that you're asking about... Should people be using touts, and, and what should they and shouldn't they be doing, whatever? Well, the first rule of thumb is do not give them money, except if you want to pay for picks, you pay for picks. That's one thing. But do not give them money to manage. That's where people are getting in a lot of trouble, is now these guys are, are getting out there and putting up shingles. You know, They're putting up their shingles like they're money managers who are going to bet sports, and, they're, and a lot of these guys are running off of the dough. So just make sure he doesn't give anybody their money to, his money to manage. Now, if you want to pay for picks, that's a different thing. There are, there's mostly charlatans. Most of the guys that do it don't know shit, all right? But there are a lot of good ones, too. There are some really good ones. The best ones, Tommy's group, you know? I mean, you know, a lot of people don't know. You only know Tommy Highland for, for Blackjack. Mm. But Tommy's guys did, did uh, sports for years, and they still do, right, Tom? Yeah, we're doing some, not, not as much. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, these guys, the guys who really know how to do it, it's a beatable game. Make no, make, you know, make no mistake. This is a beatable game. The guys who really know how to do it, they're not selling their picks. They're making their, their own dough. But some guys do. I mean, perfect example. One of my best buddies, I don't know why he did it, but a guy named Fezzik. He's just, he got, he got into some financial stuff, and he decided he wanted to go this route. Here's a guy who knows his stuff. He knows his stuff, but he's also going the tout route. So there are guys who can do it. Um, there are guys who are very, very good who just maybe they don't like betting the money. I mean, Peter Griffin's a good example. This is a guy who knew blackjack better than anybody in the world, and he'd start shaking if he'd bet more than ten bucks. <laughs> he he couldn't bet the money. He just couldn't do it, and that's why he got to see, I got to be buddies with him because he see me betting the money. He's like, "Wow, you can bet." I'm like, "Yeah, well, you tell me what to do. I'm betting, bro. You know that's." What it is. <laughs> but you know, maybe that's the reason why these guys, you know, get, go into this business. But some of them are good. So now it becomes a, a function of how much are you wagering and how much are you paying for the pick. See, you can't be paying a hundred bucks a pick if you're betting two hundred a game. You know, you can't be paying, paying twenty five a pick if you're betting. 50 bucks or 100 a game. You're giving up too much. You're taking, you know, 25% of it right off the top. So you've got to be betting enough and getting a good enough information relative to how much you're paying for picks. But the, the bottom line is, tell them to keep very, very good records. Monitor your results. And then look at it at the end of the year or two years or whatever is a reasonable amount of time. If you're winning, keep going. If you're losing, is what you're losing worth it to you for the fun you're having, right? And if it's not, then you get off that, that, that mule, right? Thanks. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. 